Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. to invite you to take up God's Word now, the book of Amos, the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. We began a new series last Sunday, so if you're new to us, you haven't missed too much just yet. We're only on verse 3 of Amos chapter 1. That's page 764 in the Black Church Bibles. There's plenty on the windowsills here and on the tables uh, up in the gallery for folks up there as well. Page 764, uh, the prophet Amos. I am using a book today to hold up my notes on the lectern, quite, li- quite literally. Uh, and it's this book here, The Message of Amos, uh, by a man called Alec Mateer. Alec Mateer died just a couple of years ago. And with the events that I'm going to speak to you about in the sermon, the events of the news this past week, uh, reading these beautiful words in this commentary brought me to tears this week as I saw how incredibly rich God's word is for us. If you're looking for a guide to the book of Amos, Let me assure you that this uh, is readable, accessible, uh, and more or less everything I'm about to give you this morning has come from here. I'm telling you this now so that I don't have to keep saying, Alec Mateer says. Uh, You can just take it from me, Alec Mateer says, uh, all the way through. But let's hear God's word together, this uh, astonishing passage, Amos chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to read through to the end of chapter 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. And so because of this I will send a fire upon the house of Haziel and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. And so because of this I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four I will not revoke the punishment because Tyre delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. And so I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because Edom pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. And so I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Bozrah. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment 
because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. For Moab burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, of Judah, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in to the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. The Amorite whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. But I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine. You commanded the prophet, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. And he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. Amen. Please do take a seat and have your Bible open. It will help you immensely as we look at this together. Some of you will know the words of the poet, John Dryden. Dryden said, beware the fury of a patient man. You heard that before, beware the fury of a patient man. The anger of those who are slow to anger is when it comes terrible. Beware the fury of someone with great patience. 
This morning, friends, in his word, God is going to do something for us. As we look at this passage together, God, I believe, as we look at this, is going to close the gap between the Bible in the ancient world and our world. Just like you might take the Bible in front of you and uh, we, we think, don't we, that there's a chasm between what we've just read eight centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ, 750 years B.C., Amos is speaking that long ago. We think, don't we, there is a gap between all of that time and all of our time. And what God is going to do this morning is simply the way that we would close the Bible, close the gap between the ancient world and our world. There is no distance, friends, between what we have just read and the world that you and I have left behind this morning, the world that we are part of. And so this morning for us in Amos chapter 1 and 2, here is a window for us to look through at our world. We're going to do that together. I want this morning to help you be a Christian. I want it to help you love being a follower of the gentle, lovely, beautiful, truthful, holy Lord Jesus. For here in front of us are hard words that can create soft hearts. People say to us all the time, don't they? Someone will have said this to you at some point. People say, you you say you're a Christian? You believe in God, really? Have you seen the world that we live in? How can there be a God? How is that possible? What, What is he doing in the world with all of the suffering around us? And so, friends, here this morning, here is the help that you might need today. Maybe this very morning your heart is breaking. Some of us have wept this week. I know you have as we've learned more about Sarah Everard's final moments. Some of you this morning are nursing a wound, a grievance, and it's it's burning inside of you. And you don't know where to take it, what to do with it. Some of us are just simply weak and we have come up against the might of the strong and we lost and we lost heavily. What do we do with that? Maybe today you simply need to know this. Nothing in God's world escapes God's eye. Nothing in God's world escapes God's eye. Nothing. That's what this passage is about. You see that? That... The the city names that I read, God sees his world. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab. These are capital cities of pagan nations. These, These are not his people that we read about in the start of the passage. Not the Holy Land, but still his world. London, Glasgow, Aberdeen, New York, Sydney, Rio, San Francisco. Friends, here is Amos saying to us, when God sees his world, he roars like a lion. He is roaring from where he rules and he is roaring because of what he sees. Do you notice this all the way through? If you look at that passage, what's the phrase that just keeps coming? Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. I see and so thus says the Lord. The lion is roaring. There are six things in the world that God can see which he hates. And because he hates them, 
because he hates them. Oh, friends, there is hope. There is hope this morning because God hates these things. That's what I want to give you. I want to give you six things that God hates. And then I want to give us two hammer blows. Okay, six things and then two hammer blows. So eight points this morning. Okay, fasten your seatbelt. Number one, people are not things. People are not things. God hates it when people treat other people not as persons but as things. Look at verse 3. Each of these six come from each of the six pagan nations that are addressed here. Verse 3, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. What did they do? They have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Some of you from farming backgrounds have seen this, haven't you? Threshing sledges were flint-studded, weighted platforms of wood that animals dragged backwards and forwards across a thing, a grain, a crop, to, to break it and to get out of the thing what you needed for profit. You threshed wheat, not women. You threshed grain, not a city full of people. You see that? You see what the verse is saying these people did? Commentators are divided about whether they think this is a literal description of unspeakable barbarity. Some commentators say this literally happened, that the population of the city would have been laying prostrate in the street while iron teeth would have been plowed across their backs the way you plow a field. And other commentators say, no, that is too awful. It must just be a metaphor. But if it is true that it is just a metaphor, do you see how the meaning stays the same? Threshing is not what you do to people. Well, whatever it literally was, you do not treat people the way you treat a thing. You do not do this to cities, to homes, to families. This is what Hazael, king of Syria, did in Gilead. He rode in and treated people as things. You see what Amos says? As he did that, he found no sympathy in heaven. There is a war on, people say. Don't you know? There is a war on. The end justifies the means, right? Hit the enemy hard and hit them with all that you've got, right? Exceptional times justify exceptional measures, right? Oh, man may think so, but God does not. God does not. You see, friends, long before the Genevan Convention was ever written or ever thought about, Amos says a lion sees and a lion roars. You do not treat People like things. God hates it when we do. Number two, human welfare matters more than commercial profit. Human welfare matters more than commercial profit. God hates it when we get that the wrong way round. If you look at Gaza, verse 8, Gaza grew rich from a pitiless slave trade. You see it in verse 8. It's not that this is deportation after war, the way that you conquer a country and then bring them back to your own country. No, notice, this is deportation for profit, conquering one people and delivering them up to another people. 
taking them and delivering them to Eden. In other words, one nation takes a nation to give them to another nation. Look at the terms that are used. A whole people, not, not a part of it. A whole people, young, old, men, women, married, single, rich, poor. And only one question mattered. Will they sell? Will they fetch a price? And a whole people goes into slavery and no one seems to notice. But a lion roars. No, friends, close the gap on your Bible this morning. If, if you've got a gap, close the gap. Did you know that according to the United Nations, some 200 to 400 million, 2 to 400 million people in the world, including at least 100 million children, live today in actual slavery? Or in conditions amounting to slavery. There are chattel slaves in North Africa. Bonded children in carpet weaving in India, Nepal, Pakistan. There are forced marriages, child brides. And we see statistics, don't we? But Amos says the creator of the universe sees the suffering. The sufferings of whole communities. Look at the third thing that the lion sees. Number three, your word must be your bond. Your word must be your bond. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. Both Tyre and Gaza, they were both inhumanly trafficking human flesh. You see that? Tyre delivered up a whole people to Edom, just like Gaza. Both were pernicious, but there is more to it here for Tyre. For look at what verse 9 says. In its slave trade, Tyre was acting in a breach of treaty obligations. They breached the covenant of brotherhood. Word had been given at some point. Hands were, sh- were shaken together. Whatever the rituals were, there was a bond made and it was broken. And we can sense why it's broken, can't we? There is some kind of treaty, pla- treaty in place. But then look at the price Edom must have been offering for these people. The pound signs and the dollar signs change everything, don't they? The pledged word becomes negotiable for self-interest and self-advantage. If the price is right, the promise can be broken. You've seen it in the news, haven't you? USA, Great Britain, and Australia. What happened the last couple of weeks? USA, Great Britain, and Australia enraged France, didn't they? Something to do with submarines. Did you lose any sleep over what we did to France? I didn't give it a second thought until this week reading Amos. Did we violate a covenant of brotherhood? Friends, are we citizens of a nation that in past weeks has trashed a promise? God knows. God sees. God cares. Friends, if we notice this, here's what we must notice. Here's what you see coming through. Do you notice this? God is judging nations. God is judging nations. We think judgment relates to us as individuals, which of course it does. But look, Amos is speaking to capital cities and to nation states. The lion roars about international politics. Look at 
Nations have an identity as well as individuals. In verse 3, Damascus, that war crime of threshing Gilead, that war crime happened 50 years earlier. It is the, the lion saying to us, a nation cannot easily walk away from its past if the underlying pride and the cruelty are still there. You cannot just escape it and pretend it didn't happen. Oh, we rise and fall, don't we, together. To a very great extent, we rise and fall together. We are not islands. It's easy for us, isn't it? We say, oh, that's just Westminster. That's the English down there. Well, that's just Holyrood. Nothing to do with me. I didn't vote for them. No, they are our governments, our leaders. We are their people. We, we take their glory, don't we, happily? We take the handouts that they give us. We'll take that. Thank you very much. Are we free of their shame? Amos says no. Your word must be your bond. Number four. Do not nourish hatred in your heart. Do not nourish hatred in your heart. Do you know, friends, that some nations just hate other nations? Some people just hate other people. Oh, friends, it is such a dangerous place to be. Such a dangerous place to be. Look at it. Tyre breaks its word. Tyre breaks its word with its brother Edom. But Edom, verse 11, look what Edom does. Pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. And his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. Tyre breaks its word with its brother, but Edom wants to break the head of its brother. This nation is merciless. Do you see that? Merciless. And Amos says that that pursuit with the sword that you can see, that visible thing has an invisible source. It has the thing burning in here that only God can see. There is an undimming, ever-burning anger and wrath is guarding that anger lest it evaporate and die down and pass away. Do you, do you remember the Robert Burns poem, Tam O'Shanter? Tam's wife is waiting for him, waiting for him at home to return home drunk from the pub And he says she is nursing her wrath to keep it warm. Do you know what that's like, friends? To just put a guard around that fire. Keep keeping wrath forever. Just, Just tucking your wrath into the folds of your heart so that it doesn't evaporate. So that it's still there for when you need it. No, friends, hatred nourished in the heart, in a person's heart, hatred nourished in a nation's psyche and wrath in its culture to become known as a pitiless people. Oh, the lion roars. God hates it. He hates it. And so we come to things five and six. I think five and six are the worst. Is there a crescendo here as we come to the Ammonites and to Moab? I don't know, but it seems like it to me. For verses 13 to 15, as you look at the Ammonites, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, as you look at the Moabites, in both cases, these nations were dealing with helplessness, helpless people that should have brought forth tenderness and compassion, but instead 
cruelty, unspeakable cruelty. Number five, limit ambition by the rights of the helpless. Limit your ambition by the rights of the helpless. Look at verse 13. For three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. What did they do? Because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. What they did was terrible. It was brutal beyond words, like, like rape as a weapon of war to permeate bloodlines. This is a weapon of war to destroy the future of a country, isn't it? To kill its children. What they did was terrible, but friends, look at the verse again. Why they did it was even worse, that they might enlarge their border. See what it means? The Ammonites did not limit their ambitions according to the rights of the helpless. And God hates this. God hates this when our ambitions override what we do to those who are weak and helpless. Friends, you don't need me to draw the lines, do you, from that world to this world. The the gap is closed for us this morning, isn't it? There are relationships in our world where the weakness of one party is meant to elicit tenderness and compassion from us. And what do we reach for instead? Bloodshed. Abortion. Euthanasia. Eugenics. Friends, some of the most fraught problems, I'm going to speak beyond my expertise this morning. Forgive me, you can, you can engage with me afterwards about this. Some of the most fraught problems in medical ethics today are because the ambitions for what we can do are outstripping what we should do. What we have the technology to do and the power to do, those ambitions are not being limited by the rights of the helpless. Is my ambition here disciplined by my care for the weak? That's the question. That's what God loves. On Thursday this week, there was a a group of palliative care doctors who wrote to the Daily Telegraph. Sir, as the palliative care consultants of the next generation, we oppose any introduction of assisted suicide or euthanasia in Britain. It would be a seismic shift in the way in which patients are cared for and one that we are not prepared to have any part of. Having to include assisted dying in conversations with a dying patient would fundamentally alter the dynamic in the doctor-patient relationship. And it would destroy the trust that is so essential to our work. Now, I think that is brilliant, brilliantly put. Why might that conversation destroy the trust? Here's what they say. Offering someone the option to die is akin to saying to that person that we do not value their life. And even worse, here it is, friends, even worse, patients may soon feel that the motivation for offering this option is cost-driven. See what they're saying? People will soon realize that offering assisted dying is cheaper than the myriad other treatment options we could offer them. 
Friends, do you hear what these brave doctors are saying? Assisted dying as an option on the table could, it maybe even will, lead the patient to think that the greater ambition here is money, saving money. And although those doctors don't say it, I think even that is only the thin end of the wedge. For if the patient senses it, in time the machinery will come to live by it. God says no, no to all our ambitions in life, from our ambitions in war to our ambitions in healthcare. All our ambitions need a tutor. They need a voice on the shoulder, an educator. And the tutor that God says we should listen to is the weakest and the most helpless members of our society. Brothers and sisters, hear with me this morning the word of the Lord. You measure the health of a nation by what it does with its verbal pledges. You measure the health of a nation by what it does to its weakest members. And here's the last one, number six. Vengeance is not ours to take. Vengeance is not ours to take. You see, the Ammonites teach us how to think about the future, don't they? To limit our ambitions by not destroying the next generation. We need to limit our ambition with mercy and kindness. But look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. The Moabites teach us how to think about our past. We need to renounce vengeance. What does the king of Moab do? It is unspeakably awful, isn't it? Verse 1, he opens the tomb of the king of Edom and burns his bones. Such is his fury and rage. To burn the bones of an enemy like this decades after their death. Oh, the desire for revenge that must have just kept this Moabite king alive. And the lion roars. God says to him, the day, Moab, the day you opened the tomb of the Edomite king to wreak upon his remains that final indignity. The day you did that, you sealed your own fate. You signed your own death warrant, verse 2. So I will send. What did he do to the king of Eden? Fire. So I will send a fire upon Moab. And it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth, and Moab shall die amid uproar. Brothers and sisters, these are such terrible words, aren't they? Such terrible things in these verses. For we live in a terrible world. But can you feel the comfort here? Can you see the beauty? The the reason these things are so wrong is because God is so beautiful. There is an ultimate standard of right and wrong. There is a way to be in this world that does not treat people as things, that says that people matter more than money. That what we say we will do, we will do. Because God is like that. He only ever speaks truth. That hatred in the heart kept warm, it can destroy a nation. The passion for vengeance can be the very thing that brings about your downfall. And how you treat the weak and the defenseless, friends, is either our crowning glory or our shame. Some of us have wept, haven't we? We've wept with what we've seen on our news this week. Almost all of the evils in this passage enacted on the body of a young woman. 
the violations of the strong on the weak, a badge of uniform intended to protect, used to deceive, the final indignity of fire used to destroy human remains. Sarah's mother said, didn't she? She said, I am incandescent with rage. And Amos says to us, does he not? If it is true, beware the fury of a patient man. Oh, friends, beware the wrath of a patient God. Beware the wrath of a patient God. Why beware? Because it is the wrath of a holy God, a righteous God. Have you noticed, friend, every time, every city, every nation, have you noticed we get this phrase for three transgressions and for four? You're you're wondering, what does that mean? For three transgressions and and for four. Have you worked it out? It's a way of saying that in the end, my patience has run out. For, for the first transgression of these people, I waited. For the second transgression, I waited. For the third, I waited. I still did not do anything. But now at the fourth, and for each of these nations, the particular sins that we've looked at is their fourth transgression. Now with this one, my patience has come to an end. It's not a literal number, of course. It's not that they only had three sins and then the fourth was too much. It's, it's a poetic way of saying, friends, God's fuse is very, very, very long. It is an amazing thing to say of God, isn't it, that he is slow, slow to anger. This is becoming in our house the dominant way my children mock me, my slowness. There's an advert on TV that has a sloth in it. There you are, Dad, on TV. Slow at everything that I do, apparently. It's never a compliment, is it, when we use it of other people? But with God, with God, it is unspeakably beautiful. He is merciful. Where is God when bad things happen? People say, where, where was your God when Sarah walked the streets alone, when the bombs fell, when the gas chambers filled? Where was he? And Amos says, can you hear him, friends? What does he say? God was counting. Counting. That's where he is. That's what he was doing. Oh, I, I don't know why he waits I have no other answers other than that he waits to give time to repent, time for mercy, time for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth. He waits, but he is counting. And he will not count forever. Look, friends, at verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 10. Verse 12, verses 14, 15, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Do you see it? Every single time God stopped counting, his patience ran out. He came. He did not revoke. These nations fell. And they are no more. They're gone. Brothers and sisters, it is very important we know today that Patience is only a virtue if it is exhaustible. Patience is only a virtue if it can come to an end. 
It is good to be slow to anger, but it is not a good thing to be incapable of anger. And oh, we need a judge in heaven, don't we? We need a holy God, a roaring God, a speaking God. We need a coming God. And do you know what God's people know, friends? You know what they know, what I want you to know today, what I know as I've immerse myself in this, men and women who believe his word and who treasure his gospel, we know that it is not wise to hurry the judge out of heaven. It is not wise to cry for justice, for we know what we are like. We know we need mercy, don't we? Not justice. Justice would destroy us all. We need more patience, not less. We need grace. Did you see the two hammer blows in our passage? We're only going to feel them today as glancing blows. I'm going to finish in just a moment. We're going to come back to them in the coming weeks. Two hammer blows that today just fall as glancing blows. Amos is going to land them again and again in the coming weeks. But the hammer blows... Well, in fact, they're actually more like a noose tightening around the neck. Who was Amos speaking to? Chapter 1, verse 1. He was speaking to the king of Judah and to the king of Israel. Judah in the south, Israel in the north. God's kingdom split in two. And of course, look, up until you get to the end of chapter 2, verse 3, Judah and Israel are cheering Amos on, aren't they? Go on, Amos. You tell them, these pagan nations. Look how barbaric they are, how brutal they are. Let them have it, both barrels. Look what they've done to us over the years. Of course God hates their wickedness. Why did he wait so long to judge them? And they're so excited applying Amos' sermon to other people that they haven't spotted that Amos is working his way round a map. Have you ever done that in church? I really wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear that today. What, what, what they haven't spotted is that all these nations, Judah and Israel, are in the middle. If you had a map and you plotted them, Damascus, Tyre, Gaza, Edom, Ammon, Moab, it's a perfect circle all around Judah and Israel in the middle. Chapter 2, verse 4, there is an ominous silence as they stop their cheering and they realize Amos is now looking directly at them. For three transgressions of Judah. Judah. God's people. For three transgressions of Israel. Which is worse, friends, to not have the law of the Lord like these nations and to butcher one another without it, or to have the law of the Lord and to reject it? To have the very voice of the lion ringing in your ears. Which is worse? To be one of the nations of the earth that only has a conscience to go on, made in God's image, a general sense of the value of another human life. Which is worse, to be like that or to have once been a slave in Egypt, to have actually known what slavery was like, to have tasted it and suffered it and experienced it, to have it etched into your past and into your history. See, that's the point of verse 10 of chapter 2. You were once poor and afflicted, Israel. You were enslaved, but now look at you, verse 7. You're selling the righteous for silver and the needy for sandals. 
Brothers and sisters, if God cares what the world who does not know him does to each other, how much more does he care what we do to each other? Here we sit today with Bibles open. Bibles. What an amazing thing stacked on the windowsills, on the seats, on tables around us. What is the queen told at her coronation? Here is the greatest treasure that this earth affords. And Amos says to us, look, I know what you believe. I know who you say you are, but all right believing in God issues in right living before God. Charles Spurgeon said, I would not give much for your religion unless it can be seen. Lamps do not talk, but they do need to shine. And so verse 5, chapter 2, God kept his word. Fire came upon Judah. Verse 13, it happened. The Assyrians came. The, The Babylonians followed and Judah and Israel fell. Here we sit together with the Lord Jesus calling to us today. Do you remember his words? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Oh, how great our need, how great my need to return to him together, to come humbly, 